Hello and welcome to IdeaGen TV, powered by Azure, presented globally by Microsoft. Today, we are honored and very excited to welcome back to IdeaGen TV a good friend, BJ Moore, the Executive Vice President and CIO of Providence Health. BJ, welcome. Thank you, Christian. Really appreciate it. Great to be here. It's um, so great to have you again. And I know you have a fantastic power chat coming up. So with that, I'll turn it on over to you. And thank you very much. Excellent, thank you. Um, well, I, I don't want to spend time introducing myself. Let me go ahead and move over and uh, introduce um, our guest today, who's going to be Rod Hockman. He's the CEO of Providence and the chair of the American Hospital Association. Uh, just some quick background on, on Providence. Uh, we're one of the largest health systems here in the United States. Uh, we operate here on the western on the western side of the United States in seven states. We're in 53 hospitals, over a thousand clinics, and we have 120,000 employees or caregivers. Um, I can't think of another organization that is 25 billion in revenue, uh, 165 years old and founded by a group of women. So we've got a strong provenance there. Um, the other uh, thing that I wanted to point out is um, uh, almost exactly a year ago, we treated the first COVID patient here in the US and um, inspired the way uh, our organization, the way Providence really responded uh, to the pandemic and the way we've supported our community through this. Uh, today, I wanted to um, uh, talk about what healthcare has been through over the past year and how we have responded and what it will take to build resiliency to get us through the other side into the post-COVID world. With that, Rod, um, I've got a number of questions I'd love to uh, to ask you. Welcome. Great to be here. Great to see you, DJ. And, you know, it's uh, been wonderful. I have to say, our timing could have been better to have you as our CIO. I think, I think uh, that was probably one of the smartest things we did. We didn't even think there was going to be a pandemic, but we, we got the right person in place early. Thank you, Rod. I really appreciate that. It's been an amazing partnership. I've been here two years. Uh, you know, I came for the mission. I came because of your support for the digital transformation. Um, it's been an amazing journey. Um, feel like I've been able to have the impact that I really joined for. And uh, I'm really glad, like I said, the, the impact that we've had for our community. So thank you. Thank you for the partnership. So with that, I'm going to jump in ask our first question. So I mentioned um, almost exactly a year ago, um, we received the first COVID patient into the United, in the United States. Um, and, um, you know, what do you remember about that moment? And at the time, did you know it would become a full-scale pandemic? Sure. I was at a board meeting for the AHA, and a number of my colleagues were congratulating me on how incredibly uh, efficient and well done the care of that first patient was. And we were lucky enough that the doctor that was caring for that first patient had worked in Africa on Ebola, so was very, very aware of communicable disease, what to do. And actually, that patient received remdesivir. And he said, well, it worked in Ebola. Why don't, why don't we give this a, a try here? And they really saved this patient's life, but the team really responded in textbooks fashion to what was going on. I think we all thought at that point, this had been a patient that had traveled in China. Oh, we'll deal with this. And this may be not even like Ebola. We'll be able to, it won't affect a lot of people. And then the next episode that happened was the uh, outbreak of, you know, in um, Western Washington. 
in a nursing home and that was growing and growing. And we came to the realization that uh, COVID had been with us for a long time, a lot longer than we thought. And as we can see, this thing grew and grew and it went from New York and now it's spread throughout the whole country. And we're gonna have an anniversary coming up on the 19th, but we're also gonna remember at that point what will be 400,000 Americans that would have perished from, uh, from COVID. So I don't think anyone would have realized the magnitude of what COVID would mean. And then subsequently, uh, what its devastating effects would be on, on the country. So uh, it's been a, this has been a long year, and we've learned a lot along the way. What I'm proud of with our people is that from almost from day one, um, they were able to understand that they needed to communicate with other people around the world yeah. on how to take care of COVID. And that collaboration has been fantastic. Yeah, I remember back in February, March of last year, that really stood out for me, you know, coming from tech. We didn't necessarily have that same level of collaboration between between others, but witnessing firsthand collaboration with other health systems in the United States, frankly, other health systems in, in around the world. It was really um, great to see that everybody's pulling together to do the right thing for our communities and patients. And that collaboration really stood out for me. So, Rod, uh, what do you think the biggest learning was for you um, and or Providence during the pandemic? Wow. There's so much learning. And I think, I think what we've understood is that we're never going to be the same after COVID. And you've heard me, BJ, talk about BC, DC, and AC you know, before COVID, during COVID, and after COVID. But I don't think we would have really understood how dramatically it's going to change so much of what we do and how we do our work. And as you know, we went from, what, 70,000 virtual visits to almost 1.7 million in one year. That statement alone gives the magnitude of what tremendous change. We're never going to go back to not virtualizing healthcare. Uh, We're not going to go back to all running on airplanes and, you know, congregating all together in an office building to do our work. Those are all things that are gone. And then from a scientific standpoint, you know, and as you know, I'm a rheumatologist, immunologist by training, the advance of science just you know, that we think about vaccines, but a lot of the research that's been done will help advance other science. So that would be the other thing that I think is going to dramatically change the, the world we live in. And those are just three for starters. I mean, I could okay. go on and on. Yeah, I mean, there, we've got a whole new vaccine type in our, our toolkit, right? Uh, a vaccine that didn't exist before and, you know, obviously is proving effective for COVID, but could be uh, um, something effective for other diseases. Exactly. And that's the thing, the science behind messenger RNA and how it's delivered could have implications for cancer, could have implications for other diseases, which is just mind boggling. So, you know, we're still in the midst of the pandemic. Um, What is the single most important thing that needs to happen to get the pandemic under control? Well, it's it's all about vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. You know, before we were talking about PPE and getting all that done. Now, there's a race to get everyone vaccinated. Because there are a couple of things biologically that we have to understand that, you know, we don't know how this virus is going to continue to cycle or whether we get more variants. 
So time and speed are of the essence. So the faster we get the population, and both population in the United States and in the world vaccinated, yep. the more chance we have of really you know, suppressing uh, COVID. Now, some people have said COVID will be with us forever. Well, parenthetically, smallpox is with us forever, but it's in a controllable fashion. And that's really what we're looking for scientifically. But we got to get the vaccine work done. We got to vaccinate at least 2 million people a day. And yep. uh, as you know, we've got a lot of work to do to get there. I know you've had the vaccine. I've received the vaccine. Really proud of how we've already vaccinated over 100,000 of our caregivers. So really like how we've stepped up and, and really um, delivering the vaccine to our own own teams and now beginning to shift to the communities. Yeah, I think it goes, you know, caregivers first, then we're trying to get to our patients and then the third wave is in the community. The problem that we have putting my AHA hat on is that everyone's doing it a different way. Every yeah. state has decided to do it a different way. And we're hopeful that... Um, you know, at the time of this recording, we'll have a different administration and uh, we'll be able to get at least some standardization in terms of how the rollout goes. And uh, as we have more vaccine, it's going to make it critical that we have a delivery system and a documentation system that works. Yep. Well, the topic of this conference is dynamic resiliency. You've identified five environmental forces that will require tremendous resiliency. Can you talk about those five forces? Sure. So back in 2020, uh, you know, we were wondering why it is, you know, uh, we have a pandemic going, but why is it that there's so much of an unsettled nature amongst all of us? And what I described are four dynamic forces that were affecting everyone. So the first one was obvious was the biologic force, which was, of course, uh, COVID-19. COVID but we got to remember that this will not be the last biologic force that will yeah. affect us in terms of how we deliver care. So, so the biologic consequences of, of bacteria and viruses and other things are going to be consequential for health systems, not only in 2020, but beyond. The second one was the whole uh, financial impact. And we have had financial ups and downs before, but they have a profound effect, particularly on the healthcare industry, on our patients, and on who we serve. And particularly coming out of 2020, this one's going to be with us for a while. The third area that we haven't talked as much about, but had a profound effect in 2020, were the environmental forces. As a number of you know that live out west, you know, we had some of the worst wildfires in the history of the country. And in the Southeast, we had some of the worst uh, hurricanes. So the whole element of climate change and its effect on the healthcare industry will continue to be a, you know, an incredibly important part of, of how we look at things and what we do. The, the, four, you know, the, the next area was just the social unrest and, you know, in terms of what we had to deal with and uh, with coming off of the, the George Floyd murder but the realization that the country really was in a phase that it, it had to be able to deal with all of the issues around social inequity, health inequity, that we thought we'd done a much better job with in the past. But now it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, there's actually some work that needs to be done. 
And the fifth and the most obvious is political unrest. And the events of just the last few weeks have shown us that this is going to have a profound effect on 2020 and beyond. And particularly for the healthcare industry, you know, we're looking at um, how do we deal with the different issues in Washington? Now with the change in administration, what does it mean for healthcare policy? But these are the things that in order to have an organization, you know, we're going to have to have resiliency taking into account these five factors in 21 and beyond as we go forward. Excellent. So our healthcare uh, personnel on the front lines have gone through an incredible stressful year and it's, it's obviously not over yet. Um, how can we support their resiliency and their mental health and well, well-being? Right. I think if you asked me the question, phrase it another way, BJ, it would be, what's the one thing that keeps you awake at night? What do you worry about? Yep. It's our caregivers. Absolutely. Uh, and I am just so concerned about the whole concept of post-traumatic stress. You all have seen the pictures of the emergency rooms and the ICUs. And as a physician of 42 years, the stress on those caregivers, and that is everyone from the nurses the nurse assistants, the doctors, the environmental service people that yeah. are putting their own lives on the line to care for patients. Uh, that's what worries me the most. We have had almost 1,500 caregivers, nurses, et cetera, and doctors that have perished due to COVID, uh, taking care of it. So I just worry whether they're going to be able to make it through the next six months. And we're already seeing personnel you know, stress and strain out there. So if asked, that's the thing I think the, the country and uh, healthcare leaders need to worry about the most. I know you use a, a marathon metaphor. You mentioned we're about halfway through that marathon. It feels like we've sprinted the first half. Yeah. You know, and you can't sprint marathons and we need to sprint the second half. And so, yeah, I think that that metaphor probably applies here as well. And what we've been doing, as you know, BJ, is, is actually we have tools in place online that our caregivers can look at that go from everything. I think I'm under stress or anxiety all the way I think I could potentially take my own life. Yeah. And what we've embedded is the ability for our caregivers to access those things quickly, conveniently, and confidentially. And that's made a tremendous difference, I think, in, in talking to what you're saying, how do we create some resilience? So I wanted to make sure that we mentioned that. You mentioned uh, in 2020, it really came to the forefront, the racial inequities that we have here in the United States. Um, Providence has committed $50 million to address the uh, health equity. Tell us why Providence made this pledge and what we're doing to address racial disparities. So in general, we have an attitude of Providence. Let's not talk about it. Let's do something about it. And we've been staring at the whole health equity issue for a number of years. And for those of you in healthcare, it's, it's really akin to what we did with patient safety. We talked about crossing the quality chasm and we had a lot of talk about it, but finally we moved to action. And today I'd say the healthcare industry is much safer and has a higher quality than it did even a decade ago. Now we've looked at the issues about health equity. We know that people of color outcomes in terms of, of breast cancer and other diseases aren't what they should be in comparison with a different cohort. So we've known about that, but very little has been done to address it. So what we said at Providence, we're gonna move on this. The commitment is to start with $50 million, $10 million, 
each year over five years. But what was really important was that we organized a system around this. Every department, every part of the organization is engaged in this whole issue of both equity and health equity. And then what we said is, why don't we start with COVID first? So we know that disadvantaged populations are not going to have the access to things like testing and COVID vaccine. So let's make a difference right out of the box. And that we've been leading that effort as a starter set going forward. And then subsequent to that, we'll be looking at some of the other inequity issues, whether it's in cancer care and OB care and other areas that uh, we've seen for a long time and we need to take action on.